You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a very happy edition of Rico Bronia. Evan Roberts of Carton Roberts on the fan. Pete Hoffman, the fine producer of Tiki and Tierney. Uh, I just got back from the Met game, the finale of this three-game series against the Milwaukee Brewers, and I, I always want to be completely honest and transparent. I really felt this was a loss. This felt like a loss from, I don't want to say the first inning, because when Jeff McNeil came through with that RBI single behind 0-2 after Pete Alonso popped up the short... I felt pretty good. But really, the disastrous fourth inning felt, first of all, took forever. Tyler McGill's hurt. We'll get some imaging on Friday to find out how seriously hurt he is. And sure, it's fair to fear the worst, especially since this was only a second start back. But I can't be alone. McGill gives up the home run to Christian Yelich. He gives up the back-to-back hits. He walks Andrew McCutcheon. He throws one pitch to Narvaez. And you could see it, at least where I was sitting. I was in different seats today. Usually I sit behind the plate today. I was third baseline, not that you care, but I'm being descriptive where I saw this game. I was about 15 rows off the field, third baseline. And all of a sudden, after he throws that one pitch to Narvaez, you could see he's bothered. You could see something's up with the shoulder. And when Buck comes out, when Hefner comes out, when the trainer comes out, there's no way he's staying in the game. There's, just no, there's no effing way. There's no way he's going to convince, hey, let me throw a couple of warm-ups. I'm okay. So you know he's coming out. You know Chase and Treve is coming in. And that fourth inning, which at that point was still 1-1. Bases are loaded one out. It felt very similar to the fifth inning the night before. That this was going to be a disastrous inning. I said to my buddy at the game, uh, this game is going to get out of hand. To which he responded, yeah, if it gets out of hand, there's rain in the forecast, I may leave early. So... We're game planning, basically, how ugly this game is going to get. And when Narvaez comes through with the two-run single and Renfro grounds into a fielder's choice, McNeil can't turn the double play. Not that it was necessarily on him. Probably wasn't hit hard enough. And now it's a 4-1 to game. It's not as if I was counting the Mets out because it was 4-1 to and they couldn't hit Andy Ashby's son. It was more, it just felt like the Brewers were going to be able to tack on that Chase and Tree would get beat up in the fifth inning, that this game would turn into kind of a real ugly night for the second straight day, and it would mean a series loss to the Brewers, which isn't the end of the world, but all of a sudden the division lead would be down a three and a half. Yankee fans would be talking even more trash, and it just wouldn't feel good as a Mets fan. And by the way, we'll address this later on in the podcast. There's a few things we'll hit on besides recapping the series. I want to go back a little bit in history because this week in Met history is important, good and bad. So we'll address that a little bit later on. 
some trade targets that I've been eyeing. We'll address that a little bit later on, and we'll answer some questions and comments. But one thing we will address is that despite the Mets having this great season, the Braves and the Yankees, and I know the Yankees shouldn't bother us, but it does, their runs lately kind of puts the Mets in this position where they got to win every night, or else we as fans are going to be pissed off. It's not fair, it's not right, but it's the truth. I sit next to Craig Carton every day. Pete Hoffman's got to listen to Brandon Tierney every day. If the Yankees win on a nightly basis, even if the Mets get tripped up and innocently lose a series to the Brewers, it's going to feel worse than the reality of it. And, and I'm just being, I'm being honest with you because I could sit here and say, oh, no big deal if they would have lost tonight. 40 and 24, 16 games above 500, three and a half game lead on, again, on the Braves. It's irrelevant what the Yankees are doing. I could say that, but it wouldn't be true. Because we all have friends who are Yankee fans. We all have coworkers who are Yankee fans. So I hate to admit this, but as that fourth inning is unraveling and as you're starting to ponder, because you can do this in a three-and-a-half-hour game, what this will feel like if this turns into just an ugly loss, the reality isn't as bad as how we would feel. So I think it's okay to admit that. But that was four to one. My thought going into the bottom of the fourth was, we're going to have to score eight runs to win this game. It just felt like it was going to be one of those nights. And I thought what was really significant was that Tomas Nito RBI single with two outs in the fourth inning. Because A, and I always say this when when you drop a big inning, you don't have to get it all back right away, but you got to start to tick-tack. You got to start to kind of get into that deficit. And so I thought... When Tomas Nito's up with two outs in what feels like, eh, they put a couple of guys on base, but it's going nowhere. For him to come through with that RBI single, I thought it was monstrous, even though the Guillerme was thrown out at third. And he clearly was thrown out at third, even though they replayed it. I thought that play in itself was significant. Followed up by Jason Tree after a rocky fourth inning, pitching a 1-2-3 fifth against the top of the order. And that was significant for this reason. Buck Showalter even said it after the game. And I got some things to say about Buck. It's not all positive, by the way. We'll get to that. Seth Lugo was going to get the opportunity to pitch two innings. If you could get through the fifth against the top of the order, which Shreve did, now all of a sudden, feels a little different. Okay, Seth Lugo for two innings, Drew Smith for an inning. If the game's close, Edwin Diaz in the ninth inning. And then if things go extra, you got Adam Adovino. So you can kind of see how the bullpen plan would come together. But it doesn't work if Jason Treve can't pitch a clean fifth inning. And good Seth Lugo can't show up. And Seth Lugo was great. He was fantastic. He strikes out a couple of guys in the sixth, gives up a soft contact infield single to Lorenzo Cain, who I still hate, even though I felt bad for him when he's playing a ball in center field and the ball hits his balls. I felt bad. Even though Lorenzo Cain kicked us all in the balls when he drew that walk in Game 5 of the World Series against Matt Harvey. But still, I don't want to see another man have a ball hit his balls. So I felt bad for Lorenzo. And I'm glad he's okay. But Lugo was tremendous. Drew Smith's able to make a big pitch and get through that eighth inning. And how about the Met offense? The New York Mets say, all right, we're down three. Tomas Nito, big RBI single, like I mentioned. And then Mark Canna hit a two-run homer in that. I don't know if you felt this way if you guys are watching this on TV. I didn't think there was any shot that ball was getting out. And I have a good, like a decent sense of where a ball is going to go. I thought that was going to be nestling into the glove of Lorenzo Cain in right center. 
But he hits that two-run home run. They fail to score in the sixth. They fail to score in the seventh inning. And then in the eighth, I am first guessing the crap out of Buck Showalter. Meanwhile, I had no idea until after the game that Eduardo Escobar is MIA. That Eduardo Escobar is dealing with, as Buck called it, a workplace situation or a non-workplace situation. I don't know what he called it. We just called Eduardo Escobar sus. I thought maybe they sent him home for a couple of days and said, maybe you can play MLB The Show and rediscover your swing. But in all seriousness, I don't know what's up with Eduardo. I hope everything's okay. But Buck Showalter, after the game, would not give any information on what's going on with him. So I'm sure we'll find out. Maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, we'll find out. But I do know that Buck, after the game, was kind of giving it back to the reporter, saying, I'm not going to talk about it. But it's weird, because the more you don't want to talk about something, the more you start to think it's a big deal. But the reason I bring this up is because in the eighth inning of this game, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As I look back down on my scorecard to remind myself, J.D. Davis leads off with a hit. Okay, great. Right off the top, I'm thinking, can Starling Marte pinch run? Where is Starling Marte? Even if he can't swing a bat, even if he can't play the field. Remember, J.D. Davis is the DH, so no big deal. He can be the pinch runner, and if that at-bat comes up later, okay, fine, you can pitch it for him. But he doesn't use Starling Marte. And so when the count is 3-2 and two on Luis Guillerme and J.D. Davis is on first base, he's basically standing on first base because he's afraid to take a lead against Brent Suter. I'm annoyed. I'm like, Buck, what are you doing, bro? Like, what? where is Starling Marte? Okay, doesn't use him. We get a break because Rowdy Tellez throws a ball in the left field. Hey, by the way, Hoff, and I'm just curious. Do you think Rowdy Tellez's name is really Rowdy? If you had to guess. Uh... No, I have a feeling that's a nickname. It can't be real. It is a nickname, okay? I had to look this up at the game tonight. Do you know why he's called Rowdy and how he somehow agreed to have all of us call him Rowdy? Because why would we call a grown man Rowdy? Is he a There's Piper a fan? What was is, that? He a rowdy, is he a Rowdy Piper fan? So it's funny you say that. I thought the same thing. I was like, this guy's got to be a Rowdy Rowdy Piper fan. Are you ready for story time, Pete? Because this is great. Let's go. Let's do it. You can use this note if you ever want at some point. Like, why is Rowdy Tellez Rowdy? So his name is Brent. No, no, Brian. Brian. His name is Brian. Very basic American name. Brian Tellez. Okay. His parents didn't want to know the gender of the baby. So they didn't know, is it a he or is it a she? So while baby Tellez is in the mama's stomach, they didn't want to say he, they didn't want to say she, they didn't want to say it because they didn't know the gender of the baby. So they just said, boy, that baby's rowdy. He's a rowdy baby. Baby rowdy. <laughs> then he's born and they start calling him rowdy. What do you think of that one? And he, and he kept it? Yeah. Like that to me it. is like, I, that's not a name that you keep. Like it's like, oh, cute for like, you know, till you're 10. I agree. But I'm thinking that maybe 
He then realized Rowdy Piper is awesome and said, I'm going to keep it because Rowdy Piper has it. So the point is, that's his name. I, I just thought that was a nice little interlude as we uh, break down hardcore baseball talk. But Tellez makes that terrible throw. And so now they have first and third. And then Buck pinch runs with Starling Marte. And so I listened to Buck's postgame. I did not hear specifically him ask why he didn't use him earlier. So here's my speculation on this, on why he didn't use him at first, but he used him at third. 3-2 count on Guillerme. Maybe he's afraid he's going to run and head first dive into second base. And if he's on third, there's less of a risk of a head first dive. It's the only thing I could think of. But it was odd that at that point, he sends Marte out. But okay, first and third, nobody out. Tomas Nino's up. And again, I'm saying, Buck, where's Eduardo Escobar? Again, at the time, I did not know Escobar was unavailable because of workplace, whatever, whatever the hell they're calling it. So Nito's batting for himself, and he's striking out. Nick Plummer, obviously, it's a little chopper. Uh, there's confusion with Adamas getting back to second base. Either way, weird fielder's choice. Mets get a cheap on her and run. Great, I'll take it any way I can get it. But when you realize Escobar's not there, and you realize Marte can't hit or field, the Mets literally played this game with freaking one bench player. It's crazy to me. So hopefully Escobar is back. Hopefully Starling Marte is going to be cleared. But it left Bulk in a position in that eighth inning where it was less than ideal with the pieces he had coming off of the bench. But they were able to scratch out a run. As far as Edwin Diaz is concerned, I'd love to bitch and moan about Edwin because he was very, very fortunate that the Brewers were ultra-aggressive when Tyrone Taylor hit that bloop double and Hunter Renfro tried to score and he thrown out. I think it was Hunter Renfro. I'm not sure if they sent him a pinch runner. If they did, I may have missed it. I don't know. The reason I can't kill Diaz is that was the softest contact in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to be fair. And after the bad break of giving up the bloop double and then the good break of the aggressive base running and Pete making the throw to the plate and Tomas Nito applying the tag. Here comes Christian Yelich, and he struck him out on three pitches. Like, so I give Edwin Diaz major credit that despite this, what could have been a kick in the balls kind of blown save, after he gets the lucky break after the unlucky break, because the contact was soft as hell, he's able to pump it past Christian Yelich for a big strikeout. And so when Buck goes out there, Runner on third, two outs. I think we're all assuming he's going out there to ask him, do you want to face Christian Yell? 